0: As we close out the first season of Vermont Ed Reads, we celebrate another first, our first student guest on the podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by South Burlington 6th grader Abby Bunting as we discuss the book, Watch Us Rise, by Renee Watson and Ellen Kagan. We'll meet the book's part of this, Google it, and talk about how unpacking stereotypes that might not apply to you still makes the world a better place for your own
1: I'm not a person of minorities and I'm very um, definitely just like privileged and I feel like these books are a way for me to, like when we were talking about stepping into other people's shoes, reading's a great way to really stay in tune with the world outside you that you might really not pay attention to as much. I'm Phillips, let's check
0: for joining me, Abby. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, I'm Abby and I am a sixth grade student at Frederick H. Tuttle Middle School in South Burlington and I love to do sports, read, pretty much a lot of of school activities. Excellent.
0: I'm so delighted to have you here, Abby, and thank you for selecting this uh, lovely book, Watch Us Rise, which is written in two voices. Could you introduce us
1: to Jasmine and Chelsea? Yeah, so Jasmine is a, they're about the same age and Jasmine is a young black woman and Chelsea is a young white woman and Jasmine is a lot more quiet and um, Chelsea is more of a firecracker and is outspoken and loud and likes to stand up to things. Whereas Jasmine normally takes a little bit of a backseat to think about more ways to do it in a polite manner or self started way yeah they've been friends for a long time when um a white girl on the playground told jasmine that if she took a bath hard enough the brown would come off her skin and chelsea slapped her eventually they learned about the non-violent movement but that was a really good moment for jasmine to feel that she had a friend in chelsea yes
0: I had forgotten that part. Thank you for bringing that forward. And
1: they have a couple of other
0: friends who play a role in the story, too, even though they're not primary figures. Do you want to introduce their two other friends? Yeah,
1: Isaac and Nadine. Um, Isaac has been a part of their group for a long time, and there's a little bit of romance going on between Isaac and Jasmine. And Nadine is one of their friends, a fashion diva. She's amazing and a really a center point for the group.
0: Did you, like me, feel like, oh, this just makes me want to be in their friend circle?
1: Yes, I do. They, seem, they have a really good relationship and all communicate very well. Right. They spend a lot of time
0: at Jasmine's house. And Jasmine's father, Mr. Gray, um, is sort of an inspiration for them. He works at a local um, cultural center and museum. And um, he sends Jasmine and Isaac and Nadine and Chelsea out on these challenges, he calls them. Um, And the book begins when he sends them on the Brown Art Challenge. Do you want to talk
1: about what the Brown Art Challenge is? Yeah, it's pretty much going around New York and finding exhibits that aren't really well-known and taking a look and being inspired. I know Chelsea writes a poem, and Isaac, who's a really good drawer, does a lot of pictures about them.
0: Right, and so he's really asking them to find art that represents brown and black people, people of color. Right. Yeah, so, that
1: isn't very much represented around New York popularly.
0: Yes. And so he sends them to Harlem to explore the Harlem
1: Renaissance at one point, right? Do you remember any of the other things he sends them towards? I don't remember any of the other things he sends them to, but he sends them at the end, even though at the beginning he says that they're not allowed to, but to where Mr. Gray used to work um, for a new exhibit.
0: Yes. Um, and... There's something really, um, I wanted a dad like that in my life. I wanted somebody like that who would sort of inspire me to look out beyond
1: myself. Did you feel that way too? I did. I think Mr. Gray is a really good character and obviously has a lot of input on Jasmine and inspires her a lot. I think Mr. Gray or her dad is a big part of Jasmine's life. Absolutely.
0: Um, He also calls this crew of four the artivists. Uh, like activist, but with art, artivist. And I love that term. Do you want to talk
1: about um, uh, why he uses that term in particular? I think that it's a really good way for him to put across a message to the kids that art can be a very good, nonviolent way of getting a point across. But also it's almost giving the person a point of view from your perspective and a really good way <clears throat> just to see, all of these things in a beautiful art form. Yeah.
0: It's like he sees these kids already as change makers.
1: Yeah, I think definitely they all put forth a strong vibe of wanting to make a difference. Do you want to make a difference in your world? I yeah, I feel I feel committed to making the world a better place. We have so many wonderful parts of it right now, but it's it's an opportunity. Yeah.
0: And did this book feel like it um, inspired
1: you or did it feel like it mirrored your own sort of path? I would say it definitely gave me some inspiration just to be who I am and pretty much forget about anything else that the media or world is trying to send at us and just to be myself and do what I want to do. Hmm. So um, I bring up the artivism, the
0: artivist, because Chelsea and um, Jasmine especially become artivists in a really interesting way in their school. And their school is Amsterdam Heights Collaborative Community School, and it's a real social justice oriented school. It prides itself, right, on being social justice minded. And um, the students at that school are required to join a club and attend weekly meetings after school of a club. And um, so could you remind me of the clubs that um, our, our fearsome group of four start in at the beginning of the year? Because they're all in clubs that they've been in for a couple of years.
1: Yes. Chelsea is in a Poems for Peace group, and she has been there for a very long time. And she loves it because it's a chance to express herself, and but also do it in the form of poetry, which she also loves doing. Isaac and Jasmine are both in a theater group and Jasmine loves acting and they both are kind of fueled by the same desire to just be on stage and and be who they are.
0: Yeah. And so what happens that um, leads to Jasmine and Chelsea leaving their clubs?
1: Well, for Jasmine, she's always been portrayed for like an either a depressed or lonely or sad young black woman or someone who can pour a lot of sad emotion out on the stage and she really has a good way of shedding her normal skin to play another character but they're doing a freeze run where everyone is doing an acting scene and then you freeze and someone else comes in and starts where you starts, but make up a new makes up a new scene and Jasmine and Isaac have a special moment together, and Mr. Morrison, all he sees is a young, sassy, black woman, and Jasmine finds that really offensive. And another um, character in the book, Meg, is kind of, they're like someone who really puts Jasmine down a lot, and they both, she's very skinny, and Jasmine has, um, is a has more weight than she does and I think it's like she just feels that it's not right for her and all she has so much more in her than being sassy black and overweight
0: right she's kinda pigeonholed right into stereotypes it really echoes what we see in Hollywood right where we're um, where you see people really um, advocating for a broader array of roles for women characters, and especially women of color characters.
1: Yeah, in fact, Jasmine's first post on their Write a Girl blog is about these stereotype Hollywood actors and that most black women get put into for all their roles. Would you like to read that post? Yeah, I would love to read them. Um, mm -hmm. Write like a girl blog, posted by Jasmine Gray. Acting like a black girl. I'm a girl, plus. Which is to say, I have to deal with all the sexist expectations, stereotypes, and assumptions that all girls face, plus all the racist expectations, stereotypes, and assumptions about my blackness. There is an invisible but ever-present checklist to measure if I am acting like a girl or not. Boxes built to keep me in my place. These boxes show up in every area of my life, even in a theater class where the whole point is to play a role, to become something imagined. But the more I attend theater camps and auditions, I am reminded that society has a hard time imagining women outside of roles that keep us in the box of being some kind of caregiver, sex object, or victim who can only be saved by a man, of course. And then there's the unrealistic beauty standards that we have to measure up to. And so there's a way to act like a girl, be needy, be emotional, be loving unconditionally, be superficial, be soft-spoken, be beautiful and sexy, which also means to be skinny and also means to be white. If you're not white, be a lighter shade of brown. And there's a way to act like a black girl. Be loud, bossy, be emotionally strong, so strong you never cry or complain because whatever comes your way, you can handle it. Be aggressive, be wise, always having advice and answers, usually for white characters who, who are playing more important roles than you. I wish that I was making this up. I wish that when I Googled stereotypical roles for black women, nothing came up. But instead, there are several other articles and documentaries on the history of representation for black women. Some of these are the Jezebel, the Sapphire, and the Mammy. And this is all of her post, her first post.
0: It's so powerful, right, that she's really spelling out for people who don't understand what it means
1: to have your role narrowed because of what you look like. Yeah, she ends it with a powerful statement. Let me repeat, I will not act like a black girl.
0: Not unless she is nuanced. Not unless she is imagined to be more than tired tropes and predictable cliches. That is a fabulous pas- passage that you shared, Abby, and I think it um, really illuminates Jasmine's experience in the world, especially in her art, which she loves. Posting this is one way she's being an artist isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is an insight to, the. this is just the beginning of the book, and she really begins to find her stride and post more of these. So we're getting ahead of ourselves, though, folks, because we haven't told
0: you what this is yet. Um, let's talk before we go there about Chelsea. What happens that
1: she leaves the poetry club? Ja- or Chelsea quits Poets for Peace and Justice because she feels that they're studying to long ago writers and while she feels like their writing and poetry is important she feels that we should be they should be studying more modern and approaches to poetry and a lot of her fellow poets say there's always an issue issue with Chelsea for anything that she really does she feels she uses her voice a lot to argue against anything that she feels is wrong and when she does that people are saying that cl- the classics are classics for a reason but she feels it's a racist reason because all of the people they study are white. And at the end she really quits because everyone says that it's a poetry club when she feels that it could be more than that. And she wants a space where everyone is represented and she feel free to share what she wants to shares.
0: share. Uh, you summarize that so beautifully and it made me think um, I read a lot of reviews of this book um, when I wrote I write my own reviews of this book and a lot of people do not like Chelsea a lot of readers are not a fan of Chelsea and I wonder if they're missing the point a little bit and here's why I'm going to say this Chelsea's experiencing a kind of sexism right people are saying to her um You argue too much. You speak up too much. And I'm not sure she would get the same reactions if she was male. What do you think?
1: I agree with that. And I think that everyone who does think that Chelsea is not the best of characters, I think it's a really good way to provide some insight to what it might be like being a girl who wants to speak up, who wants to share her own opinions and perspectives, but is often put down because she is, yeah, what you said, arguing or speaking up too much.
0: Yeah, she's a a born leader. She's a little bit of a bull in a china shop, right? She, like, makes mistakes and messes up, and she's loud and emotional um, and outspoken but I think she gets a bad rap in part because she's not quite feminine enough.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely something that both of them are dealing with. For Jasmine, she's often put down because I think she's not acting feminine enough or she doesn't look the feminine part. Because she's overweight, a lot of people put her in the box that she can't run very well or she's not strong she's not capable of doing all these things that really she can do, but she's put down because of her weight and how she is expected to look as a feminine. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, There are all these assumptions uh, made about her that she maybe can't be attractive, and yet Isaac finds her very attractive, right? Yes. Or that she's not, um, that she must be unhealthy, mm -hmm. right, instead of just being big.
1: Yeah, and she always knew that there wasn't something, she says there wasn't ever something right. And when she was younger, the plumpness was cute, and then she got older, and she knew it wasn't just big bones. And unfortunately, even though Jasmine's parents are
0: amazing, her mom sometimes carries some of that baggage about weight and makes uh, Jasmine feel bad about her size. So it's not just what happens out in the world on the subway. Um, or on the streets or at school with her peers. Sometimes it even happens at home. How does Jasmine reckon um, with her body image? How does she
1: deal with it? Well, she struggles a lot with it throughout the book, and she finds kind of how self confidence in herself and learns to respect her body, even though it's big. And at the end, Meg has talked to him or poked fun at her a while for being overweight or her size. And she says that she's not beautiful even though she is big. She's beautiful because she's big. And that's a really strong point for Jasmine. And it gives her a chance to really just say that, I don't really care what you think because I know I'm beautiful.
0: I love that you shared that. I had forgotten that um, powerful moment when Jasmine really, like, claims her full self, the beauty of her full, whole self. And it was a beautiful moment, really powerful one. Poor Meg was left speechless. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Jasmine and um, Chelsea no longer have a club, right? They're completely stuck uh, without a club, and they have to have a club, they decide they don't want to join an existing club so what do they do
1: they decide to make their own club and put together and led by miss lucas and it's really something for them they wanted a space where they could be themselves and share their own ideas and stand up for being a woman and dealing with a lot of the sexist and racist accusations and stereotypes at their school who prides themselves on being really just a place for social awareness. And it's really like a way for them to put forth a message that none of the really, the clubs that are existing are dealing with what needs to be talked about.
0: Right, they're gender
1: issues, that these
0: are showing up and nobody's talking about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so each club has to have a blog and what do they christen their blog? What do they call it?
1: They call it Write Like a Girl. <laughs> I love that title. Do you? Yes, I do as well because I think it really just says that they're unafraid to be put down like that. And a lot of people say, oh, no, you throw like a girl or you scream like a girl. And uh, all of those things are perfectly normal to do. And it's, like, it's fine to write like a girl. They're standing up for who they are. I think it's the one of a really good title for them. Yeah. And so you shared
0: Jasmine's first post on Write Like a Girl. Is there one of Chelsea's posts you'd like to share from the blog?
1: Um, let's see.
0: The one I'm really interested in is, um, let's see if we can find it, um, Beauty Magazine Redux is a found mm-hmm. poem and isn't going to read very well, but she often um, writes about... Um, what she calls the princess,
1: princess Industrial Complex. The Princess Industrial Complex. Do you want to read that one? I'd love to read that one. This is page 108. Princess Industrial Complex, what I learned from Rapunzel, posted by Chelsea Spencer. The Princess Industrial Complex, what I learned from Rapunzel, posted by Chelsea Spencer. Woman with hair that is a long blonde rope have magical, mystical powers, and can do most things, but they will always need to be saved by a swashbuckling, bumbling man. Rapunzel is as nothing, paper fine, petite, and small design. She will learn when you cut your blonde locks, your powers will vanish and your tresses will turn a drab and lifeless, lackluster brown and short. But she will learn that princes sometimes prefer brunettes, and all will be well. But here is what I say. Hair can be an animal sometimes, up and off your precious, precocious head in a flash. Reckless and jumbled, women aren't fairy tales, fluff filtered into fugitives, trapped with their own powers. My own hair is repugnant and revolting, it's ruthless and ravenous, relentless, slithering, sly and slick, bodacious and funky. Yeah, repugnant as in taking your breath, lungs, heart. My hair won't be your swing, your sexy, can't be teased or trotted out. Your perfection is not attached to my skull. Back up. You can't dye me to fit your pleasure. I'm not sunflower, pure diamond, hot toffee, sparkling amber, auburn dream, platinum crystal, vanilla icing, caramel kiss, copper shimmer. I'm not sprayed or straightened. I'm a bully. My hair's got you in the corner. Don't date in me, dainty me. Don't gel me up for the perfect curls. Don't you dare try to climb up me to save me. I'm keeping myself alive just fine. Oh, I love that That's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing how she came up with this, and it has elements I think she really she just shows that she's such an amazing poet, yeah, and fears like i
0: and yet she struggles Chelsea really struggles right she is um a ravid consumer of Beauty yeah, magazines, right? Magazine.
1: She really advocates against them, saying that like they put forward a stereotype, but at the same time she struggles inwardly um, for when she wasn't put to be in the basketball homecoming. And she, her mom took her out for a Sunday and told her that the girls don't need that. They're fine with their heads and their brains, and they're beautiful just they w- the way they are. But instead, Chelsea goes out the next day and finds all these beauty magazines to try and become beautiful on the outside.
0: Yeah. She's sort of got this obsession with lipstick, even as she makes fun of the names of the shades, right? And it's it's complicated for her. She spends a lot of time thinking about what she looks like, even as she talks about not wanting to think about what she looks like.
1: Yeah, it's an inward struggle for her. Do you think that's the reality for a lot of girls? Yeah, I think so, because we're growing up in a modern era where this is really, um, we're put to be beautiful just the way we are, and a lot of people say that. But at the same time, there are always these little people who tell you to look a certain way, and there's an inward voice that's telling you to be beautiful on the outside, even though in your heart you know you're beautiful on the inside, but it's still a point where you want to look beautiful on that side even though you know you shouldn't have to. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of, like, shame and guilt around that, right? Like, you can feel like, oh, I shouldn't care what I look like.
1: Yeah, but and at the same time,
0: you do. Yeah. I think it's really complicated world for women, for young women. And for women my age as well. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that Chelsea's really, like, her full flawed self with this. Right? That she's not perfect, that she shows us her real humanity.
1: Yeah, and th- we already talked about Chelsea and how most people don't like her as a character, but I think this really gives an insight to that what you said, she's human and she deals with all this guilt and kind of sadness for knowing that it would be alright to not focus on these, but at the same time, she wants to look beautiful on it.
0: Yeah. And there's a reckoning for Chelsea and Jasmine as friends. As you said, they began their friendship because Chelsea stood up for Jasmine when somebody said something racist. But Chelsea expresses her own biases, uh, and Jasmine has to really call her on it in various points throughout the book, the most memorable one being about T-shirts.
1: Yeah, and I think Jasmine really talks a lot about that and teaches Chelsea a lesson going through this book. Chelsea thinks she knows a lot of things, and she does, and she stands up for a lot of things, but at the same time, Jasmine teaches her a valuable lesson that sometimes you're fighting for all of this, that sometimes you forget that you can be the one who's making up these issues. And what you talked about, the T-shirts, she had ordered T-shirts for a write like a girl and showing, like, woman power and from famous poets, and she ordered all women's sizes, in a small, medium, and then a large, and she ordered a men's large, but she forgot that Jasmine is a little bit bigger than her, and sh- she won't fit into all these, and Chelsea tries to smooth it over by saying that she got a men's large, but Jasmine knows that it won't really fit the right way, and it's not, she needs to tell Chelsea that she needs to look out for that more.
0: And Jasmine's been sitting this with this for a while, right? They go shopping because, so of course, Chelsea loves to shop. But every shop they go to, Jasmine can only buy, like, accessories because there's very little clothing in her size. And they never go. It's not like they, their standard place to go is Lane Bryant or a, a shop that has the kinds of sizes that, Chel- that Jasmine will wear.
1: Yeah, and even in the plus sections, Jasmine goes to there are sizes that are way too small for her. And she says to the poster or like looks at these posters at the plus sizes in the racks and says that that would be a very skinny woman in the, when you're in an oversized world or the people around you who are the same way.
0: And the shop clerks come up and say, "Oh, oh, our plus sizes are on the internet. You'll have to go on the internet for those. And she's like, I'm a teenager. I just want to shop at a store, <laughs> right? I had a lot. Of, that was a really good experience for me to see, um, to walk around in Jasmine's shoes in those chapters. I learned a lot walking around in her shoes,
1: which is why I read,
0: so that I can walk around in other people's shoes. Do you have that experience? Uh, too?
1: I, I love being, and it just teaches you a lot, reading and these stories that you read teach you such val- valuable lessons, especially these new modern writers who are g- tackling these tough issues and stories that just really everyone can connect to. Yeah. Is there
0: another passage
1: you would like to share from the book?
0: We don't want to uh, give away any spoilers, folks, so we're just giving you a teaser on how this book progresses. But
1: let's I'll read one more from the Write Like a Girl blog, and this one is Chelsea's and this starts when she goes into a s um s t a e no s t e a m class before, and she finds sexism in silicon valley and s- huh you said that
0: right so okay. it's a steam
1: class yeah it's a steam class, and um her teacher challenges her to look up this james DeMore's google memo um about how women aren't suited. To be in the the technology era, or work in these places, and she creates an erasure poem.
0: So yeah. So first, explain what an erasure poem is.
1: Erasure poem is uh, a piece of text that you cross out parts of it to make it a different meaning. So if for one of the lines is openness directed towards feeling aesthetics rather than ideas, you'd. you'd cross out, or what she did was she crossed out, directed toward, and rather than, so it reads, openness, feelings, aesthetics, and ideas for women.
0: So do you, would you like to read just the uncrossed out sections of Jane Daymore's Google Memo, an erasure poem?
1: Personality, women on average have more, openness, feelings, aesthetics, ideas, women generally also interpreting as emphasizing, women in, in social artistic areas, coding, systemizing, more women work on with people, and aesthetics, extroversion, assertiveness, also higher agreeableness. This leads to women negotiating salary, asking for raises, speaking up, and leading. I love that.
0: I love that she completely changed the meaning of his text by crossing out certain words. Have you
1: made any erasure poems of your own? I have not. I, this was something I'd never heard of, and also for the people who read this blog, it also strikes them. Um, yeah, it's. they say, is. would love to see more of these erasure poems, a very interesting form, and I think it's good of Je- Chelsea to bring up a different style of poem that isn't very as well-known.
0: Yeah. This blog gets them into some trouble. We won't spoil the book for you. But it also leads them to some really robust activism in their community and in their school, which to me felt really empowering. I wondered what it was like being a student in a school to read about kids' um, sort of Being activists in their school, for you as somebody who's an activist in your school, in SOAR, what was that like for you?
1: I think it really struck me as I could connect with these characters, but as I said before, they really inspired me and showed me that it's all right to get in a little trouble for what you're doing because you know that you. if you really feel strongly in it, you know it's the right thing to do and stand up for it. And normally what you're s- trying to stand up for isn't very, or the the, um, the, audience's opinion, I guess, or what most people think. But it's a way of changing minds and opening up a lot of barriers that some people wouldn't normally uh, look into.
0: So Abby, I know that you're involved in um, some activism here at South Burlington and Tuttle. Um, called SOAR, and I wonder if you saw any parallels or any ways in which that work is similar to the
1: activism that shows up in Watch Us Rise. I think that I can connect with Watch Us Rise um, because I do do some of this work in SOAR. SOAR is students standing up or students against... No, wait. Students organizing? organizing against racism. And uh, we do a lot of work with just, like, Gathering confidence in the people who attend to speak up against racism and all these, all the issues that we feel are going on outside of school or wherever you really feel see them because it's it is hard to stand up to the, when you hear those things and it's I think SOAR is a place where you learn to have confidence in yourself but also know the right way to deal with the situation. I connect more with Jasmine, though, because we don't do what um, Chelsea does, which is, like, put posters everywhere around the school and kind of spread the message in a big way. And I think that's a good way to do it. But at the same time, in SOAR, we go to conferences and we give presentations about what we're doing to inspire other schools to do it or other people to know who we are.
0: That's great work you're doing. Congratulations on all the success.
1: Thank you. So I think the last
0: thing I really want to pick your brain about and learn from you about is, um, you know, this is a book with powerful female voices, with girls really learning um, and practicing using their voice in powerful ways. And I'm wondering if there are other books you would recommend to readers that would um, inspire or
1: um, demonstrate girls grappling with how to find their voice in the world. So some of the other books that I feel are good ways for women to hear a young woman grappling to try and find their voice is The Hate You Give and On the Come Up. Both of these are by Angie Thomas, and I think she's an incredible writer. But in The Hate You Give, um, and Starr really has a time figuring out who she is and what she really wants to stand up to, and there's these issues in the book or... Things that happen that really leads her to think a different way about all this and find her voice definitely.
0: Yes, those are both great books. actually, I'm reading on the Come Up now, and it really appeals to me as a book about a young woman finding her voice in rap music.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting way to write a book, and I loved Angie Thomas's raps themselves. I thought they were really standing up for something, and in the end of the book, at the end of our book, the main character really finds who she is and doesn't listen to all of this that goes around in her neighborhood about... She knows that she really needs to find her voice and know if she's going to continue with rap music. She needs to stay in her own boundaries and what she wants to do instead of what other people are are forcing her to do.
0: Yeah, Uh, those are great recommendations. I am also thinking about... um, This is an oldie. But Laurie Halse Anderson's Speak, have you ever read that book? And it's about a young woman who, um, who doesn't speak, who loses her voice because of an act of violence and how she comes back to finding her voice. Um, so that feels like a, um, another one to add to our uh, strong female voice um, reading list, playlist here. Um, and then I was thinking about Amal Unbound which is a favorite of mine from last year about a young Pakistani girl who really wants to get an education. She actually wants to be a teacher, but because of the circumstances of her life, is forced out of schooling and then has to find her way back. And she also feels like a fierce young woman who's saying, no, my voice deserves to be heard and I deserve to be educated. Um, So I'm sure we could come up with some others. Other strong female characters... Mm. Renee Watson's other book, um, Piecing Me Together, seems like a great example mm. of a young woman who's mm. really finding herself and her way in the world.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great one to put on the list. I'd really recommend that one because it's she's a person of two worlds where she goes to a school where it's mainly white and she is very pri- privileged there, but also... Um, she describes it as like an ant in a sea of milk. She's really <laughs> by herself there, and but when she goes home, it's also different. She can't get the same education, but she feels more at home with people like her there, and it's like a way for her to m- encourage her, the school that she goes to to kind of mix both of these things and piece her together. Yeah. Hence, I think, the title.
0: Yeah, and I think Renee Watson writes microaggression so well, right? Like in this book too, she experiences all these little um, pinches uh, of of racism and sexism that aren't quite like hate speech, but that add up, that have this cumulative effect, and that you also see that show up in um, piecing me together. The so it's it's not a Nobody's shot by a police officer. It's not a Black Lives Matter book necessarily, but this book about microaggression. Yeah. Um, and that as somebody who doesn't experience a ton of microaggression in my life, it was really it really helps me see the world differently to read
1: from that perspective. I definitely agree with that. I'm not a person of minorities and I'm very um definitely just like privileged, and I feel like these books are a way for me to, like when we were talking about stepping into other people's shoes, reading's a great way to really s- stay in tune with the world outside you that you might really not pay attention to as much, but can relate to with these characters and these stories. Do you have any other book suggestions for us, Abby,
0: About that allow you to have empathy for other people's lived experience?
1: Um, These aren't necessarily woman empowering books, but um, Dear Martin and Anger is a Gift. Anger is a Gift is a new book, and um, both of these I would recommend for people just grappling with the issues outside of school or wherever they are and getting a real, like, empathy towards these characters and what they're going through. But it also inspires me every day to just continue living up to who those people are
0: that is the perfect way to end this episode that was beautiful any last words on watch us rise
1: I would recommend it to anybody I hope that the people who are listening to this really check it out go read it thank you for sharing your
0: voice with us Abby and your insights into this beautiful book and for taking the time to talk to me I really appreciate it I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you to Abby Bunting for appearing on the show and talking with me about Watch Us Rise. If you're looking for a copy of Watch Us Rise, check your local library. Special thanks to Audrey Holman, audio engineer extraordinaire, To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.